Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from Paul's letter to the Colossians, third chapter, verse 12. Let's now hear the words of the Lord. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? So, O Holy Lord, let us be still. And speak, for your servants are listening. O Holy Lord, calm our minds and speak, for your servants are listening. Most gracious God, open our hearts and speak. For your servants are listening. And may we, O Lord, as we listen, may we be transformed in thought, word, and deed, so that we would leave our time at your feet, not as hearers of your words only, but as doers of your words. In your son's holy name we pray, amen. So the 1937 Disney classic film, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, it opens with the queen talking to the magic mirror. And she says, magic mirror on the wall, who is the fairest one of all? And as she stares into the mirror and listens to the response, She doesn't like what she sees and hears, so much so that she becomes enraged. Now if you fast forward with me almost 60 years, and in the 1990s, and if you stay up late with me because, well, we don't have to work in church or show up early on a Sunday morning yet, stay up with me and watch Saturday Night Live. You'll remember that one of the skits was Daily Affirmations with Stuart Smalley. And now that you're sitting there in the living room with me watching it, you know how this opens up. Stuart is staring into a mirror and he utters this affirmation. You are good enough, you are smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. And then he turns and he faces the audience and the skit of this self-help show unfolds. But in reality, long after that skit is faded out of the arsenal of Saturday Night Live, and long after we have gone, grown up and moved on, still those words pop up from time to time in our culture. It's sort of a tagline, it's like a, an inside joke. You are good enough, you are smart enough, and darn it, people like me. 
Or take a look at Catherine Stockett's book, The Help. The daily interaction between Abilene Clark and the child that she is caring for, Mo Mabley. She says to Mae Mobley, say that 10,000 times. She says to her, you is kind, you is smart, you is important. And she does that over and over again until May Mobley begins to repeat it with her every day. All to help this child anchor her self-esteem, to anchor her spirit, to anchor her life. And then these three vignettes, they give us a little insight into what might be the hardest part, the most difficult challenge for you and me as we try to discover living our best life. This life abundant that Jesus talks about in John 10. It's this quality of self-compassion. Professor Emiliana Simon Thomas, she teaches at UC Berkeley. She teaches that class, The Science of Happiness. She says that self-compassion is the most challenging key to our best life. So if you've been hanging in there with me over the last four weeks and into this fifth week, we know that our best life is found in community. We know that it is grounded in practicing kindness, that it, is, that it flourishes in expressing gratitude, that it's strengthened by mindfulness. But without self-compassion, without self-compassion, our best life may never be truly achieved. I mean, well, we know one thing about Western culture is that we have always said we seem to have adopted this sense of self-criticism. It's almost a cultural norm. It's a chance to punish ourselves for our wrongdoings and our setbacks. Now, to be fair, a level of self-criticism is not bad if it is done constructively. But it's when it's not done constructively or we begin to obsess over and replay the tapes over and over and over again to excess that it begins to become a stumbling block. Something that prevents us from achieving our goals. And it can lead to destructive behaviors. Things like eating disorders, substance abuse, low self-esteem, social or professional paralysis. Clearly, these are not the abundant living that Jesus intended for you and for me. And so with self-compassion, we begin to practice grace with ourselves, the same grace that we are called to extend to others and that we do as a part to the kingdom of God. That when we practice this grace towards ourselves, that we begin to discover our best life. So in Paul's letter to the Colossians, if we started back at chapter 3, verse 1, it's a section entitled, New Life in Christ. So the first part of that chapter, he's reminding us that we were raised through Christ, meaning that we should seek transformation in our own lives. That we should set our minds on the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, and that Christ is revealed to us as a savior of the world and a model upon which we are to anchor our lives. That in finding our new life in Christ, that we are to put to death essentially all the things that aren't good for us. Immorality, impurity, evil, idolatry, anger, 
malice, slander, abusive language, and lies. All things that we can agree are not of the kingdom. But if we do that, if we, if we surrender those things, if we give those things up, and then as he says, we clothe ourselves in this new life in Christ, then we have the knowledge of God's love for us. We have the knowledge to see ourselves as being made in the image of God. And that's where verse 12 enters into the conversation. And so therefore, as God's chosen ones, meaning as God's children, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves. We're called to clothe ourselves in compassion and kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. What this verse does is it tells us to wrap ourselves in the grace of God that we would have for other people and for the world, but that we need to wrap ourselves in it most importantly for ourselves. Corrine Williams, a clinical psychologist, she says that self-compassion is the ability to understand, accept, love, and be kind to yourself in the midst of trouble failure, or deep regret. It is the tool that God gave you, gives us, to continue running this race called life. So as we think about this idea of self-compassion and sort of Paul's challenge to what we're to clothe ourselves in, really that there are three ways that we can practice it. The first is that we are to be in the present. The second is that we are to recognize sort of our human condition and our human imperfections. And the third is to cultivate a supportive inner voice for life. And that when we take these steps, it helps us realize our best life, the one that God intended for us all the way back at creation. When God said, let's create humanity in our image, and it was good. So the first step is to be in the present. Now, how many of you, if you had a friend or a spouse or a really close coworker, if, let's be real clear, you do, had a friend, a spouse, a close coworker who makes a mistake, who wounds you, who hurts you, hurts your heart, breaks your trust, would you hold that over them for years on end? No. At some point, what would happen is the way that story would unfold is that person would wrong you. They would trespass against you. They would seek forgiveness. You would forgive them, and then you all move forward together, right? We do that. We move forward. We don't laud and hold past sins over our friends or relatives. So if we do that with others, if we don't hold past sins, past foibles over other people's heads constantly, then why do we do it with ourselves? Why do we do that with ourselves? Why do we replay the tapes of everywhere that we have messed up of all the mistakes that we have made in life? I think I have two thoughts on this idea of being in the present. Sometimes we want to live in the past and dredge up all that dirt, all that filth, all that pain and suffering. Why are we living in the past and not in the present? 
I think of what Jesus said in the conversation about forgiveness. He asked the disciples, what does it say in the law? And they said, forgive someone seven times. And Jesus comes back and says, you know, seven's great, but I think you should forgive someone seven times 70. That doesn't mean 490 times. I mean, think about this. If someone called you a name and then apologized for it, are you going to count out 490 times that you forgive them? No, it's a little hyperbole here. Jesus says, if you forgive someone 490 times, that means that you have long thought past what they've done. It means forgive them in entirety and move forward with life. Rebuild that relationship and move forward. Another way of looking at this is think about our lives. Think of it as a journey. And if we're on a thousand mile journey, if you and I got in the car right now, we got in a thousand, got in the car, the church bus, and we're going to ride a thousand miles west on I-40. If we hit a massive pothole in Waynesville, North Carolina, are we still going to be talking about that pothole by the time we get to Nashville, Tennessee? Probably not. And we're not going to remember it by the time we get all the way out to Memphis either, are we? We're going to forget about that pothole. Why is it that we hold on to potholes in our lives, though? Why is it that we live in the past? So that helps us not live our best life. What God calls us to do is to live in the present. To be aware of where we have messed up in the past, but not to live and replay those stories over and over again. Don't look back because that's not where we're going. We're going forward. We're going to be better people. We're going to be the best people God calls us to be. See, practicing self-compassion is about being present today, not dwelling on the past. Because today is yesterday's tomorrow. And today will be tomorrow's past. So let's be present today. Because today is the only today we get And so we quit dwelling in the past and live in the present. That we've made the first step to self-compassion and living our best life. The second step is to realize that setbacks are going to happen. This is part of the human condition. We were given free will to make our choices. Now at creation, God has hopes and dreams for you and me. Your parents have hopes and dreams for you. You have hopes and dreams for your coworkers and for your businesses and your own children and your friends. You have hopes and dreams. But let me tell you what happens. Hopes and dreams only go so far until someone makes a decision. And just like you and me sometimes where we choose the path that God wants us to choose, sometimes we choose the other. These are our imperfections. They come out. Sometimes we're a little more people than we want to admit. Sometimes we let our own hubris, our own self-centeredness, our own temptations pull us away from the hopes and dreams that the world has for us. More importantly, from the hopes and dreams that God has for us. We are going to make mistakes. That's part of the human condition. Sometimes they're going to be colossal. Sometimes they're not going to be all that bad. But we're going to make mistakes. And there's this temptation to let those mistakes define who we are, but that shouldn't be the case. 
Because God has already defined who you and I are long before we were born. We were already defined who God wants us to be. When we're born, that definition becomes a little more real. When we're baptized in the church, that definition becomes very real. We are a part of the family of God. God calls us, you are my children and friends. It can't get any better than that. So I think of the story that we know in the Bible as the prodigal son or the lost son. And we know that story because of his actions. And sometimes we want to define him as that. But there is more to that story. There's more. We know what happened. We know that the moral failure that happens, he asks for his inheritance, he goes and he squanders it, he just completely messes up in every quadrant of life. And he hits rock bottom and he comes to this realization of how far he has fallen. And so he says, I will go home and I can never be back in my place, my status in the family at home, but I can be safe because I know my father will treat his servants well. I will no longer be hungry. I will no longer be sleeping in the woods. I will have a warm, safe place to dry and I'll have to eat my hat and I'll have to wear a lot of humility, but I will be okay. So he goes home with his speech prepared and he sees his father is running towards him and his father gets there and he starts to open his mouth and apologizes and his father says, ah, 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 stop. You're home. And he wraps his arms around him. You're home. He tells the servants, go get me the coat. Go get me, go kill the fatted calf. Go bring me a ring. And he restores him to this place. He's fall, he, as much as he wants to protest, as much as he wants to admit his mistakes, the father won't hear it. Instead, he, rece- he is received, the boy is received into his father's love. And what he does, this is the piece that uh, Roland Barnhart helped me see. I've looked at this text a thousand times and I didn't see this. He lets the father love him. Remember, when we live in our past, we want to build up walls. We want to keep dredging that up. But no, he lets the father love him. He lets him in despite all of his mistakes. And he lets the father wrap his arms around him and lets him love him. Even though he's not perfect. Even though he has messed up royally. He is not rejected. As a matter of fact, it's the exact opposite. He is enveloped with love and restored to his place in the family. Now sure, friends, you and I, we're going to mess up. And we may not mess up royally like this boy, but our mistakes don't define who we are. If we acknowledge that we are imperfect and that we are going to run amok from time to time, what we have to remember is that we will never be rejected but always loved by the one who loves us most. And this should change how we approach life. We should let God love us even when we think that we are unlovable. God will still love us. We should let others forgive us even when we think that we are not forgivable, that we still are. That we should learn from our mistakes. But that we should remember who we are going forward that we are imperfect, but still loved. And friends, when we do that, that can't be a bad life. In fact, it's probably close to that abundant life that Jesus is talking about. 
And then the final step to fully realizing this idea of self-compassion is this supportive inner voice. Now, one of the things about that Stuart Smalley sketch on Saturday Night Live was remembering how it opens. That mantra, you were good enough, you were smart enough, and gosh darn it, people like me. See, when he's happy with a person that he sees in the mirror, he knows he may not be perfect, but he sees him in the mirror and he knows that he is still lovable. In Mark's gospel, we see this debate between Jesus and the disciples and the Pharisees about the greatest commandments. And we know what it says. What's the greatest commandment? And we all know, love your God with all your heart and all your might. And Jesus says, and what does the second one say? And we say, and love your neighbor as yourself. So often we talk about this idea of what does it mean to love our neighbor, but maybe we need to stop at loving ourselves. Because what Jesus is essentially telling us in this text is to love God, to love our neighbors, and yes, to love ourselves. Essentially, to cultivate a supportive inner voice. Because when we can love ourselves and realize that we are lovable, then we begin to see the abundant living that's all around us. We begin to understand, this is a twofold step, to understand that we are wonderfully, we are wonderfully created just as we are. If you had a mirror up in front of yourself right now, you are wonderfully created just as you are. And the second one is this. That once we begin to realize that, it's to realize that we are enough. And that's enough. That we are enough. And that's enough. So I want you to do something with me. Just for a moment. I want you to close your eyes. Just close your eyes with me. If you hear nothing else this morning, I want you to hear this. You are wonderfully created, just as you are, fully as you are. And you are enough. And that's enough. See, my brothers and sisters, our best life is anchored in these two irrefutable facts that we are wonderfully created, wonderfully lovable, fully as we are, and that we are enough, and that's enough. And we discover that, that we discover the key to the abundant life that God promises to us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast for Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you will consider joining us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 or 11 a.m. Blessings. Blessings.